Hey, this is our last night gathering tonight uh, for, for Bellevue Men, and we're really uh, thankful that you guys stuck with us this whole semester, and we really enjoyed the time with you guys. In the next couple of weeks, though, there's an opportunity I want to make sure you guys are aware of. We have a spring equip. Uh, it's only about a, a four or five-week series on uh, Fight for Your Family, and uh, you can see uh, on the handout on your, on your table, everybody should have a handout that you can take. Go ahead and take this. Take a look at it. There's opportunities if you have young children, if you're parenting, if you're parenting uh, teenagers, uh, just talking about biblical marriage, fostering adoption, empty nesting, grandparent. There's a lot of great options here. And on the back, there's a description of what the class is going to be going into detail on. I'd really encourage you to take four or five weeks to just dive into what you can do to further uh, your family and to build on those relationships. Tonight, we're going to be talking about relationship. And we'll jump into that in just a few minutes. But this is a great opportunity for you to invest in your family and to fight for your family uh, like the Bible calls us to do. So I encourage you to take a look at that and, and really uh, evaluate uh, if there's one, a class here that really fits you well. Hey, we're going to go ahead and jump right into a table talk. And this is what I want you guys to talk about. What has the Lord been teaching you lately? So as you guys talk about this semester and just not even just in this class, but over the last couple months, where you've been as a, as, a, as a person in your walk with the Lord at church, in your Bible reading, whatever it is, in your life group, discipleship group, what are the things right now that God is teaching you? Go ahead and talk about that around the tables for a few minutes, and then we'll jump in. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and jump in tonight. Tonight, we're going to continue our conversation on relationships. Derek uh, started us off, uh, what well, was like three weeks ago, the last time we were able to meet, it seems like forever. So two weeks ago, I guess, when we were able to meet, Derek started off on the conversation of relationships. And Derek mentioned two important things that we're going to spend some time unpacking tonight. Really, the first thing he talked about is that God created you to be relational. God created you to be relational. And as a result, what that means is that you were created to be in relationships. So I know some of us and and guys, we may not always like talking about friendships, and we're not always good at that type of stuff. But God created each one of us to be in a relationship. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about two types of relationship that we each experience and have on a daily basis. The first thing we're going to talk about is our relationship to the Lord. So how are we supposed to have that relationship, that vertical relationship between us and the Lord? And then in just a few minutes, Derek is going to come up and he's going to talk about what it means to then have that horizontal relationship with other people that are around us. If you know our mission statement here at Bellevue, we're really going to be focusing in on our first two parts, love God and love people. What does it mean to love God and how do we do that well? How do we build that relationship? And how do we love people as a result of that? You know, as we started thinking about where we could go in Scripture as we talked about building relationships and having that relationship with God, there's a lot of places we can go. But the Lord led us to go to John chapter 15. So we're going to spend about 15 minutes walking through John chapter 15. You know, when Jesus taught, he loved to use metaphors and parables and illustrations and stories. Jesus used a lot of illustration story as he would teach people truth that he was teaching and explaining the Bible. And the reason he would do that is it's very easy for us to hear a story and see a story and be able to then understand and to remember. And so John 15 is a metaphor that Jesus tells in explaining how we are to have a relationship with him. And so we're going to look beginning in John 15, verse 1. And you'll see here in these first two verses that as Jesus introduces this metaphor that he tells, he introduces three different people that are represented. He says this, I am the true vine, and my father, he is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So you have three people represented here. First, Jesus is the true vine. He says there, I am the true vine. And what does that mean? He is the source. He is the source of life that we'll see in just a minute. The second person represented here is the Father, God the Father. My Father is the vine dresser. And the third person is the branch. And who does that represent? That represents each one of us. So you are the branch in this story. You are the branch that Jesus is talking about in this metaphor. If you pay attention, there's two types of branches that, that he talks about here. And each one of us is represented in either one of these types of branches. The first is a branch that is not connected to the vine. It is a dead branch. It's not connected to the source. It has no life running through it. The second is a branch that is connected. It is connected to the vine, to the Lord. And as a result, it bears fruit. Which one are you? Are you connected to Jesus or are you a dead branch with no life? And it's important for each one of us to be able to identify where we are in this metaphor because what our next step is is directly related to where we are in this beginning. Which branch are you? You see, the, the decision here and in the, in the conversation has absolutely nothing to do with proximity to Jesus. It has everything to do with bearing fruit. See, this first uh, branch, it was near Jesus. It was, it was in the garden. It was near him. But it wasn't connected to him. And as a result, it had no life running through it. It had no fruit. The second one was connected to Jesus and as a result had fruit. But many of us, unfortunately, view proximity to the Lord as a test for our relationship with him. If I'm near the things of God, if I go to church, if I go to a Wednesday night men's Bible study, if I'm in a group, I'm near the things of the Lord, I have a proximity to Jesus. But that doesn't equal a relationship. That does not equal being connected to the source And that's not what Jesus is looking at uh, when he looks for us. The Bible says John the Baptist was was preaching, and he told people that in order to, once they get saved, they had to do something. They had to produce fruit consistent with repentance. So all throughout Scripture, we see this idea of fruit and what it means to bear fruit and bearing good fruit and bad fruit, and you know them by their fruit. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, any branch that's connected to me, they're connected to the true vine, And as a result, they're going to have life flowing through them. They're going to have fruit. You know, a perfect example of this, of proximity to Jesus versus actually being connected, a great example is Jesus' own disciple, Judas. Judas walked with Jesus every day for three years. He saw him do every miracle that he did. He saw him heal the blind. He He saw him raise people from the dead. Judas saw Jesus teach the Sermon on the Mount. He saw all of these things. But Jesus and Judas were not connected. Judas, in fact, could not have been further from Jesus. And we see that just because Judas was near Jesus did not mean that they had that relationship. And Jesus said later and earlier in Matthew chapter 7, we'll read here verses 18 and following, that at the end of time, there's going to be preachers and people who are in the church that are surprised to learn that they didn't actually have that relationship with Jesus. Just because they were near the things of God, just because they were doing the work for God a lot of times, they counted that as their relationship. But Jesus is saying, hey, like, if I don't know you, if you're not connected to the vine, then nothing matters. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 18 and following, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Listen to this here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So not everyone that calls him Lord, not everybody that acknowledges that he is Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he that does the will of the Father who is in heaven will enter. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And what Jesus is saying here is that simple proximity to the vine is not the answer. Real connection and then fruit is what the Lord is looking for in our relationship with him. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, talked about this in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. And the whole idea, you might hear what I'm saying now and say, no, you know, salvation is a gift of God. It's by grace. It's, it's through faith. It's not because of the works that we do. And a lot of times when we talk about inspecting fruit and looking for fruit, people think that we're talking about earning our way to salvation. And that's not at all the case. But what the Bible does say is that when we are connected to the vine, when we are connected to Jesus, that there will be a faith that then produces good works. James 2, 14 through 17 says this, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And what Jesus is teaching here is that just being connected, being connected will produce fruit in our lives. And that's the question for you. Are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to Jesus? Do you have a true relationship? In verse 3 of John 15, Jesus then narrows the focus of this story and this metaphor. And he says this, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. What he's saying there is, hey, like the people I'm talking to right now, I know you are connected. I've, you've been saved by the words that I've spoken to you. So you are connected to the vine. But the question before we move on, and we're going to spend the rest of our time here talking about building that relationship with the Lord, assuming you're connected to the vine. But I want to, don't want to just skip over the fact that there could easily be a couple of guys here tonight who have never actually gotten to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if that's you, if you've never truly connected to the vine, if you've not learned what it means to follow Jesus, please, please do not leave here tonight without talking to somebody. You can talk to your table hosts. Each one of these guys would be glad to talk to you about what it means to have that relationship. You can talk to Derek and I after we get finished tonight. We would love for you to, to learn more about having that relationship if that's not something you have. But we're going to spend the rest of our time here talking about what it means once we assume that we're connected to the vine, once we are connected to the vine, what it means to build that relationship with the Lord. In verse 4 of John 15, Jesus goes on to say this, Abide in me and I in you. These opening words to verse 4 are so important. I really don't want you to miss them. Abide in Jesus as he abides in you. That is the key to this entire relationship with the Lord. Everything about your relationship with the Lord is centered on that truth that Jesus says. Hey, you need to abide in me, and then I will abide in you. The word abide isn't something that you just casually do, occasionally do in your spare time. This isn't something that you can just do whenever you get a chance. When you look at that word abide, the word abide means to, to stay somewhere, to endure, to remain, to wait, to dwell amongst something. And that's the relationship that the Lord wants with each one of you. The Lord isn't looking for your spare time. The Lord is wanting you to stop and to dwell and to remain with the Lord. You know, I like to grill. Um, I've got a, a big green egg. I don't know if you guys have one of those or uh, have enjoyed using one. I still haven't told my wife how much it costs. So I'm, I'm waiting a few more years and, until, I, until I'm able to, to work my way up. Each time, every once in a while, we'll start the conversation and she'll say, was it this much? I'll say, eh, close. It was a little more than that, but not much. But one thing I love about 
I love grilling and people come see it in my backyard and they ask about like slow cooking and ribs and all this type of stuff. And I'm like, hey, I just use it to cook hot dogs for my kids. Uh, so I don't have a whole lot of experience, but I really, do, I really do like grilling. I do some hamburgers every once in a while. And then when I'm feeling really fancy, I'll, I'll get a, a steak from Kroger and I'll throw it on there. But one thing I have learned about grilling, especially steaks and, and stuff like that, is that you need to marinate the meat. You can't just take a piece of meat and just throw it directly on there. You can do that, but if you really want it to taste great, you need to get time to soak in the flavor and to, and to get the, the, the marinade and to soak that in. Now, if, if you've ever marinated something, you know that you can't just throw it in there or just sprinkle it and then throw it directly on. This is something that needs to sit and be surrounded and totally soak in something for hours at a time, if not for more than that. And that's the idea here, that Jesus is saying, hey, abide in me. You can't just, you can't just sprinkle a little bit on the, on the way out your door in the morning or right before you go to bed, just read a couple verses and just say a quick prayer. Jesus is calling for us to abide in him. And if we're going to have that relationship with the Lord that, we're calling, that God calls us to do and that we have the opportunity to do, then we have to learn to abide in Jesus. Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us a story of someone who understood the importance of just stopping and spending time with Jesus. We read this in Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus, Jesus entered a, a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha was so concerned about all the stuff that she had to do, the good stuff she had to do for Jesus. Jesus was sitting in her home. She had to cook. She had to prepare. She had to clean. And these are all great things that needed to happen. But Jesus is saying, hey, like, those are good things, but you can't have those things at the expense of just sitting and abiding with Jesus. The Bible goes on to say in John 15, 9 through 10, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, so abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. I know you're, some of you are thinking, you know, I, I know the importance of abiding in Jesus, and I want to do it, but I don't even necessarily know how. It's a difficult thing to learn how to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm too busy. I'm tired. I don't, I don't know when I'm going to have time. I get it. I really do. I have four kids at home, and my oldest is five. So I've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and then twin two-year-olds. And so I go to work in the morning, and when I come home is really when the work begins. And so I, I try to connect with each one of them on a personal level, and I try to interact with them. And by the time they go to bed, I am totally wiped out. And at that point, I've got uh, a little more work I've got to do or a house project that I've been telling my wife I was going to do for the last two years that I finally have to do because somebody's coming over and, and whatever it is. And so I've got to do all this stuff, and I go to bed totally exhausted every single night. And then you wake up in the morning, and, and it starts over, and sometimes it's tempting just to sleep a little later and just get that extra rest so you can go throughout the day. But the Bible says that we're not worth anything if we do that. I get the temptation, but if we can't connect with the Lord, if we don't build that relationship with the Lord, then there's nothing worthwhile that we can offer. The Bible says here, it goes on in 9 and 10 that we just saw, that Jesus says, if you want to abide in Jesus, here's how you do it. It's simple. Follow his commandments. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, this is an important distinguishing thing to distinguish. You know, a lot of times people look at the Bible and look through it and think that it contains the word of God. And, and 
in a sense, that is true, but it's deeper than that. The Bible doesn't just contain the word of God. The Bible is the very word of God. And as we read through the Bible, we're able to hear from the Lord. And this is the primary key and tool for you to have an abiding relationship with Jesus. If you want to abide with somebody, you have to communicate. You have to be able to hear from them. And if we totally neglect our time in God's word, then how can we expect to hear from God in our lives? If we don't hear from God, how do we expect ourselves to be able to obey his commandments? And so I encourage you guys, take time really to invest and to not make this just something that you do in the mornings if you have time or throughout the day. Make this a priority in your life so that you can hear from the Lord and that you can abide with the Lord. Our pastor, Steve Gaines, I've heard him say many times, do you want to hear God speak? Read your Bible. Do you want to hear God speak out loud? Read your Bible out loud. See, when we read the Bible, it really is God speaking to us and he's able to speak to us through his word. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus would go on to say in a prayer to, to, to the father in John 17, verse four, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. I'm really, really grateful for examples. You know, if you look at uh, instructions, it's, it can be really helpful. But what's even more helpful is somebody takes those instructions and explains to you what they mean sometimes. Hey, this is what it says, but you need to know this. But what's even more helpful than that is being able to watch somebody actually do it and how to take those instructions and apply them in order to get the intended result. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus. We have an example that we can look to. There's a lot of things in, in Scripture that might be hard to comprehend or we don't know exactly what the next step we're supposed to do. But as we look to the people who are more mature in the faith than us, and we look to the very example that Jesus had and the way that he submitted to the Father, we're then able to understand what it means to follow Jesus and to obey his commandments. You know, Jesus says, we, we skipped over this verse, but Jesus says that we need to abide in him and he in us, for apart from him we can do nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but that is probably one of the most, to me, looking at it at face value, one of the most offensive statements in Scripture. You look at it and you're like, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and I stand up a little straighter. And I, I can do something, like, you know, nothing. And that's not true, though. The, what the Bible teaches, and it's so true, that anything that you do that is not rooted in the Lord, that is not directly founded in him, it's nothing. It's going to be burned up. If you want to build a relationship with the Lord, you can't do it on your own. You have to do it through him. As Derek comes up in a few minutes and talks about your relationships with other people, you can't do it without the Lord. You can't do it on your own. Though anything you do on your own, it's just going to be burned up and go away. If you want to be better at work, if you want to be a better husband, if you want to be a better father to your children, all of these things can only be done as a result of the fruit of being connected to the vine. As we talk through some of these things, sometimes it's easy to, to think of Christianity and this relationship as we're even talking about right now as maybe a, a, another burden that's being put on your back. Maybe just another thing I've got to do, another checklist, another list of things that I have to do every morning, a list of things I can't do every day, all these things. And a lot of times we, we view uh, Christianity and, and religion and this relationship, people view it as a burden that is on us. But I want to tell you this, abiding in Jesus is not the end of fun in your life. It really is the beginning of joy. Jesus said this in, in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So I don't know about you, but there's not a whole lot of things in my life that like consistently every day fill me up with joy. Now, there are definitely pockets of joy, and I, and I have a lot of fun. I enjoy a lot of things. But most everything eventually is going to let me down and drain me of my joy. 
you know, you, you look around at the news and it's just constantly negative stuff. There's always a problem at work. There's a problem at home. There's a problem with the kids. There's a problem between you and your wife. Everywhere you look, there's a relational problem. There's a problem that you have to fix. But Jesus says, hey, if you abide in me and I abide in you, if you dwell in me, if you remain in me, if you come rest in me, I will make your joyful. And so as we look at that relationship and we talk about the relationship that we have with the Lord, the Lord's not just looking to add something else to your plate. He's not looking to, to fill your plate up and to give you another thing to, to check the box on and just to make sure you don't do these things and you'll be good. Jesus is looking to give you joy. And if you want to have a good relationship horizontally, you have to get this relationship right vertically. It's the only way that we're able to do it. Without this vertical relationship, we can do nothing. We can bear no fruit. So I don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord, but you know. And if you really think about it, you know a next step that you can take. You know, what is, none of us, even if you've been walking with the Lord closely for 50 years, 60 years, there's a next step that you can take in your relationship with the Lord. And so this is what I want us to do. I want us to go around the tables. I want us to answer this question. What is one thing that you can do to deepen your relationship with the Lord? So I know for me, I'll go ahead and, and, and say it out here for accountability's sake. I need to deepen my prayer life. I need to get up a little earlier than I do right now. Uh, and I need to make sure that when I read my Bible, that I have time to then pray and, uh, and to do what God has called us to do. I know that's one thing that I could do. That's not gonna be a huge thing for me. It's not a huge time commitment. But I know that is a next step that I can take in order to deepen my relationship with the Lord. So just take a few minutes and, and answer that question around the table. What is one thing that you could do to deepen your relationship with the Lord? And then Derek will be up in just a minute. All right, guys. It's good to be with you tonight. And um, I was with my daughter. She was doing Bible drill over in the fourth and fifth grade ministry, and she did really good. So she, she knew where her books of the Bible were, and she, she got her verses quoted, so she did great. So I was a super proud dad just a little bit ago, but I caught just the tail end of Noah, and uh, listening to what he was saying, I was thinking about, he said, you know, if you don't get this relationship right, it's going to be very difficult to get these relationships right. We've heard our pastor say that so many times, and uh, I, I really want to encourage you, and I've, I found myself, I, I'd shared, I don't know, five, six weeks ago that I had gone just kind of through a discouraging time in my life, and, and the devil was really throwing a lot of thoughts at me, and, and just to be quite frank with you, I was just struggling. And since that time, I have really, really pressed into the Lord and really spent a lot of time with the Lord. And it's been amazing of how the Lord has come and ministered to me. And you see that all throughout Scripture. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, went up into the wilderness. Remember we talked about that last week? And it says at the end of that chapter that the angels came and ministered to him. And, and it's amazing how the Lord will minister you. This morning, I read in Psalm 78... And the psalmist was talking about the fact that God provided manna and quail in the wilderness. And Noah and I have talked about this before. What I love about that picture is, you remember that verse that says, His mercies are new every morning? I love that when we see that picture of the Israelites, when God provided the, the, the manna and the quail, they didn't have to save up for the next day. Because when they got up the next day, God had provided it. That's how God's mercies are. They're new every morning. You don't have to rely on yesterday's mercies for what today holds, because something fresh and anew for you. And so what I would encourage us as we get just, just to look just for a couple minutes about our relationship with others, I really want to impress upon you 
as your marriage begins to struggle or you have a struggle with somebody at work or you have a struggle with a child or, or whatever the case may be, the first place you go is you press into the Lord and you seek the Lord and his, he will give us his mercies. So then we flip the switch just a little bit and as we not walk away from this relationship, but as we walk away from our personal time with the Lord and we begin to get into the day, that's when all of these other relationships begin to come at us. Uh, my, my wife will say something, my kids are getting up, I know that I've got to get to work, and I've got all these other relationships. And how do you deal with all of them? How do, you, how do you go deep into any one of these relationships? How do you have an intimate relationship, not with, the, not with your wife, how do you have an intimate relationship with another guy, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual and an emotional sense, because we're not really that way. We don't like to get transparent. We don't like to talk about our feelings. We don't like to share when we have struggles. So, so how, do we do, how do we deal with that? Well, I want us to look in 3 John. 3 John, it's only 15 verses. We're only going to look at the first eight. But this is, uh, most people believe it's the Apostle John. If you look at, look at 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, um, there's, there's some debate on that. Most people think it's the Apostle John. He refers to himself in 2nd and 3rd John as the elder. And so that's how he starts out in verse 1. It says, the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are good in health, just as your whole life is going well. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. So not just the ones that he's close with within the church, he's talking about strangers as well. Gaius just loves people well. Verse six, they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans, therefore we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. A whole lot. We could spend weeks unpacking each one of these verses because there's so much about friendship, there's so much about respect, there's so much about love, there's so much about care within these verses. But I just want to give you just a couple of things that I believe no matter what relationship we're looking at, these things need to be present. Talking about a relationship with our wife, these things need to be present. Talking about a relationship with a child, these things need to be present. Talking about a relationship with somebody at work or somebody at church or somebody in your neighborhood, these things need to be present in our lives. So I'm going to give you two things, and I'm going to just give you some bullet point pieces off these two things. Number one, in relationships, we need to lead with love. Now, I know that's super simple. Super simple. But all throughout these eight verses, he talks about how Gaius loved people well. And I love what he says in verse 5 that I, I alluded to. is not just the people that he's close to. And I talked about that a few weeks ago. There, there's a lot of people in your life that are just easy to love. There's others, not so much. It's a little bit of a struggle. And you know how I'm talking about. There's some people in your family that are a little bit of a struggle to love sometimes. There's some people that you work with that are to be honest with you, a little difficult to love sometimes. There's that neighbor who cuts his grass and throws all the trimmings on your driveway that's a little difficult to love. Am I right? There's people all around us 
But yet when we look at the person of Jesus Christ, it says in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is on the cross. He is looking down and he's saying, Father, forgive them. These are the guys that nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the kind of love that God wants to place inside of us. So what Noah was talking about is drawing near to the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit and his love to fill us up. And then that's what leaks out of us. That's what leaks out. That's what should be dripping out. That's what should come out of us. A verse in Proverbs, I think it's chapter 10, verse 9, or 10, verse 11. It's right around there, chapter 9 or 10, somewhere right around there. It says, out of the mouth of the righteous flows the well of life. Out of the mouth of the wicked flows destruction. What's he talking about? Out of a believer's mouth flows life. The well, it's talking about the well of life. What should come out of a believer's mouth? Exactly what Jesus talked to the woman at the well about in John chapter four when he said, ma'am, I can give you something that you'll never thirst again. And she didn't know what he was talking about. But remember, Jesus is the living water. He's what we all need. And so what we do is we come to the well in the morning and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us up and then as the day goes on, our anger doesn't come out, but the Lord comes out. That's why Noah's talking about having that relationship with the Lord. So we lead with love. I'll be honest with you. If you focus on loving somebody, not for what they've done, but for who they are. Now, you say, what if they're a bad person? Let me tell you who they are. Can I tell you who they are? They're a person that God knit in their mother's womb, and God loves. And I want to make a statement to you. This is a messed up world. And I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but if you're looking at certain movies and TV stations and some people that are producing all that, they are pushing their agendas. And they're pushing agendas that not only are right there on immorality, they are completely and totally against this book right here. And I believe as Christians, we're to stand up and boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. I heard Dr. Robert Jeffers from First Baptist Dallas one time say, we need Christians that will quit bowing to the altar of political correctness and start bowing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I would say to you is, we got to stand up against that stuff, but we do it in love. I still love those people. Why? Because Christ loves them. And until the day comes when they die, they are still able to be redeemed. But you and I can turn people away from the Lord very quickly if we don't lead with love. Sometimes that's difficult. The second thing I would say is verbalize and demonstrate you are for them. Talked about this earlier in the semester. Uh, Tim Shelton and some of us are going through a book and the whole book's about what are you for, who are you for. And let me just say this, I begin to change some of my language when I'm talking to people and using the language that I am for you. And the reason I like that language is we use the word love so often that we love everything. I love this chair. It's real comfortable. I love this cheeseburger. I love my car. I love all this stuff. And so it's a very overused word. But when we say I'm for you, it doesn't necessarily mean I agree with everything you say. I agree with everything you do. But I'm for you being successful. I'm for you knowing the Lord. I'm for you. And you not only verbalize that, but you demonstrate that. How do you do that? Well, in your marriage... You do it by not just telling her you love her, but you do it by showing her you love her. With your children, you don't just verbalize it, you do it. So you go out and play baseball with your son. You let your daughter do her little dance in front of you. 
you, you scoop them up and you hug them. And you tell them the things that they need to hear. Psychologists, not Christian psychologists, psychologists tell us that children, specifically boys, need to hear three things every day for 18 years. I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're good at. Those are the three things they need to hear. They need to hear it every day. Why? Because the world's not telling you that as men, are they? No one's telling us that as men. So we've got to train their brain that they are loved, that you are proud of them, and that they are good at. It doesn't matter what they're good at. You just find something. So my little seven-year-old boy, Josiah, who's, I, I, can, I can tell you this story real quick because it's a room of guys. Let me just tell you who Josiah is, okay? So he's, I'm sorry, he's eight. He's eight. When he was about four or five, my wife texts me and she says, listen, everything's okay. I've sanitized the toothbrushes. That's not a textable statement, Okay. That's a pick up the phone and call, like, here's what happened. So I just called her. I said, baby, what happened? And she said, well, Josiah was taking a bath in the master bath. And he had been really quiet in there. So I came around the corner, and he was holding your toothbrush holder, and he was peeing inside of it. I stopped him. I sanitized the toothbrush. I said, baby, you burned the toothbrush. You throw the toothbrush away. (laughs) There's no sanitation going on. You go down to Dollar General, you buy another one, okay? And as far as the toothbrush holder goes, the same thing goes for that. You get rid of that. I said, but that's just not the issue, is that he did this tonight. The issue is how many times has he done this, and we didn't know about it, okay? <laughs> that's the big issue that we don't know about right now, okay? So that's, that's Josiah, okay? And that just tells you how you can pray for me, okay? But you know what Josiah's good at? He's good at saving up a little bit of money that he gets for birthday and Christmas and going to Walmart and buying a box of Legos that he loves what the picture looks like on the front, and then going home and throwing the instructions away and building what he wants. And he's really good at it. He's got a really creative mind. And so a couple nights ago when I scooped him up, he said, can I show you what I made? I said, yes. And as I told him I loved him and I prayed with him, I said, Josiah, you're really good at building Legos. He said, thanks, Dad. And he just went to bed with a smile. We need to hear those things. Not just kids. Your wife needs to hear that. People that you work around need to hear that. I think one of the things that we do the poorest job at as Christians is encouraging one another. And I think it's time for the men of the church to rise up and encourage one another. Because I hadn't seen a movie that's doing it. I hadn't heard of a TV show that's doing it. I hadn't heard of many jobs, occupations that are good at doing it. We need to be encouraging one another. And oftentimes we come in a place like this and we think that God beside us has it all together and he doesn't. He's just like you, he's just like me. We've got our own struggles, our own issues and we need to be encouraging one another. So you lead with love and you verbalize and demonstrate you are for them. How do you do this? Well, I think he gives us a couple things and I'm just gonna give you these in bullet point form right here as John writes to Gaius. Number one, first bullet point is pray for one another. Look what he says. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering. What is he doing? He is taking that man before the throne of God and he's fighting for him. Can I just make a statement? We don't have a lot of people that are fighting anymore. Now they're fighting on social media and they're all big and bad when no one's in front of them. But where we need to be doing our fighting is on our knees. 
And when I'm struggling, you need to be praying for me. And when you're struggling, I need to be praying for you. And we need to be praying for one another. But here's the bottom line. If we don't talk and get together and know what's going on in each other's life, we don't know what to pray for. Now, thankfully, Jesus tells us he's at the right hand of the Father and he's praying on our behalf. And I'm thankful for that, okay? But can I just be quite frank with you? You are not Superman. I'm not Superman. We need each other. And we need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for each other mentally. We need to be praying for each other visually. We need to be praying for each other's marriages. We need to be praying for each other of what we're viewing. We need to be praying for each other on what we're thinking. We need to be praying for each other over our occupations. We need to be praying for each other. That's what John was doing for Gaius. He was praying over him. Second bullet point is we need to encourage one another. Listen to what he does. He says, in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth and how you walk in the truth. What's he doing? He's building Gaius up. We live in a culture that is constantly and consistently tearing men down every time and everywhere you look. And we need to be encouraging one another. I had, I had lunch the other day with Mike Wilms. We had out of, uh, what's that place called? Crave out in Arlington. Scotty Pippen ate there a couple weeks ago. I found that out, okay? It's called Crave's out in Arlington. Fantastic. Go check it out. Anyways, we're sitting over there, and when we left, Mike sent me a text about an hour later, and he just said, thanks for having lunch, man. It was so good to catch up. It was very encouraging, and I thought, good night. You encouraged me. Just to sit down at a meal and talk to a brother in Christ, I walked away being filled up and encouraged. We need to be doing that. We need to pray, and we need to encourage One another, third bullet point is speak highly of one another. Speak highly of one another. Listen to me. He says in verse 8 that we are to be co-workers. We're to be co-laborers. We are co-heirs with Christ. We need to be speaking highly of one another. We don't need to be backstabbing. We don't need to be talking behind people's back. We don't need to be grumbling. We don't need to be complaining. We need to be building one another up, supporting one another. And we need to be there for one another, speak highly. He speaks very highly of Gaius. Now notice what he says in verse 4. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they're strangers. He says that they've testified. He said, you're doing well. And he tells them to send them out. So what's he doing? He's giving Gaius a little bit of instruction here. So here's the next thing I want to say to you. Another bullet point is be honest with one another. Be honest with one another. There are three criterias that you need to ask yourself every single time before you open your mouth and speak. And they're straight from God's word. Number one, is it true? I talked about this Sunday in our life group. Number one, is it true? If it's not true, you have no business saying it. Number two, is it necessary? Sometimes there's things that are true, but they're not necessary. Okay? And then number three, is it encouraging? Is it uplifting? So is it true? Is it necessary? And is it encouraging? Boy, if we would run our thought through that filter before we opened our mouth, we'd be out of the doghouse a whole lot more often than we're in it. So not just in our marriage, I'm talking about the guy that works beside you that you can't stand at work. I'm talking about that boss that you wish would get a promotion and go somewhere else. I'm talking about the neighbor that you're just tired, to be honest, of even seeing outside. I'm talking about all them. I'm saying we need to be careful how we speak and we need to be honest with one another. And then the next bullet point is we need to support one another. Support one another. I talked 
oftentimes about building 2 a.m. friends. If something happened to you at 2 a.m. in the morning, who would you call? Hopefully you've got somebody, but a lot of people don't. And how you build that is by building trust is by supporting someone, spending time with them, talking with them, being there for them. I remember when I was going through a little bit of struggle and my dear friend and mentor, Mike Golding, was in the middle of fighting for his life. He passed away a year ago this month. And I remember him being very sick and having a hard time. Mark, you remember he had a hard time speaking. And sometimes it's hard to understand him. And yet he was encouraging me. And he was supporting me in what I went through. And I think of him often in the way he supported me. And then the last one is walk alongside one another. He says, therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. We're to walk side by side. Think about this in your marriage. I hear this all the time. Well, she's got her hobbies. I've got my hobbies. We kind of just separate and we come back in the evening. Can I just make a statement? You need to be supporting one another. You need to be walking through stuff together. Maybe you need to get rid of a couple hobbies and she needs to get rid of a couple things and you need to do some stuff together. Or you need to go support her and walk beside her. Maybe it's, that, maybe it's a son. Maybe it's a daughter that you struggle with. You need to learn to walk alongside them. These are bullet points straight from 3 John right here in these eight verses. He said, Derek, that's kind of a lot of information. Here's what I want to say to you. We need relationships. We need each other. I believe with all my heart, the devil right now has one goal. One. And it is to destroy you. He's ultimately wanting to destroy the family. Because he knows that the family will fall, the church will fall. But the place he's coming in at is you and me. And we can't do this alone. I need you. You need me. We need each other around this table. I want to give you a question to discuss around the table. And then I'm going to come up just for about two minutes and kind of wrap up this semester. Here's the question I want you to discuss. What relationship are you missing in your life right now? And what are you going to do about it? Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's an accountability partner. I don't know what it is for you. For me, I shared with you a while back, for me it was finding somebody, a mentor in my life, and I've done that, and he's been fantastic in Sam McElroy. I love him so dearly. To just send him three questions at the beginning of the week and say, when you get a chance, I'd love to sit down and just ask him questions. I usually ask him a question about work, I ask him a question about like his relationship with his wife and I ask him a question about his children or, or a hobby or something like that. And it's been amazing to hear the wisdom that he's passed down for me. I was missing that in my life. I was missing that in my life. So I just want you to take three or four minutes around the table. What relationship are you missing? What are you gonna do about it? And then I'll come back up and close us out in just a few minutes. Ready, set, go. All right, guys, let me, uh, let me bring you back here for just a moment. And I want to try to kind of wrap a bow on the semester in just a few seconds. We have, we've tackled a lot of things. But I'm so thankful that the Lord orchestrated for us to, to end the semester on relationships. Okay? Because I think it's really important and I think it's key to our Christian walk. And so as we talk through these things and we talk about being honest, being transparent praying for one another, encouraging one another, walking alongside each other. 
The question is, where do we find that relationship? Where do we find that friendship? I mean, it, you know, you can, you can have that relationship with your wife in some sense, but to be honest with you, you need another guy. To be honest, guys just think differently than girls. If you don't know that, maybe we have a one-off conversation afterwards. But we, we are totally different, all right? In every sense of the word, we think completely different. We think about one thing if we're thinking about anything at all, okay? They're thinking about 27,000 things, all right? It, it, it's amazing, and it makes me sick to even think about it. Uh, I was told when I was younger that their minds are like the old computers. Remember when we used to get, buy a computer, and as the more windows you opened up, the slower the computer ran, and you had to start closing out windows, and the computer kind of sped up a little bit. You remember that? This guy told me, he said, women's brains are the same way. you got to start closing windows out. So I can always tell when my wife's stressed, and we'll be laying in bed, I'll say, all right, baby, we got to close some windows, all right? What are we, what, what are we closing? She'll say, well, I got about 14 things. I said, well, let's just walk through them, all right? She'll say, well, tomorrow I got to do this, this, and this. I said, well, I'll do two of those during lunch. Can you please close that window? She'll say, yeah, if you would do that, that'd be great. I'll close it. And, and as we start closing windows, I'll literally see her de-stress. It'd be amazing. By the time we're done, she's sound asleep, and I'm, I'm like, great, I got 47 things to do tomorrow now, you know? Uh, and I was hoping this was going to end a little differently, okay? But uh, she's already asleep, all right? But, but we're totally different. And so we need each other that we can sit across the table from and we can talk and we can have a conversation and we can say, I know exactly what you're going through. I shared with you that I, I had gone to lunch with Michael Pritchard a couple weeks ago, shared some things, and he goes, I said, am I weird? He goes, no, I think you're normal. He said, I think all guys, we, we, you know, we, 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 we think we're the only one like this, but we're not. And so my question is, where do we find this type of guy or this group of guys? And my prayer and our prayer, Noah and, and Drew and Jason, and as we've just worked on this over the past couple of semesters, our prayer is that potentially you would find some of that relationship around the table. That you may find somebody at the table that you connect with, maybe somebody you didn't know. Or maybe somebody that you do know, and maybe you've talked about some things you've not talked about before. But what I want to say to you is, is tonight we're ending this semester, but this does not have to stop, okay? And so Bill Street and Chad Moore uh, put together <clears throat> this 16-week study, okay? It's called a discipleship group. Now, you say, well, I thought discipleship groups were longer than that. Well, there's, there's different ones. You know, you could do it for a year. You could do it for two years. This specifically is a 16-week thing. And on your table, you have the first four weeks of it right there in paper form. You could take a look at that. Let me just tell you what it would look like. And we've got a table that's here tonight. I'm not going to call them out, but they were talking to their table host a couple weeks ago, said, hey, we'd like to keep going. And so they're going to start meeting next Wednesday night at 6.30 in a life group room right over here. We'll be done in here. They're going to keep meeting. They're going to go through this material. Let me tell you what it is. They're going to memorize a verse a week. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. That's okay. Memorize a verse for the semester, whatever you need to do. But it's accountability. It's encouragement. They've got some scripture they're going to read on each day, and then they're just going to come in and discuss it. And they're going to sit around a table for about an hour and 15 minutes, and they're going to do what hopefully you've been doing around these tables, is having good, godly discussions that when you walk away, you've been encouraged or you've been challenged, potentially convicted, whatever the case may be. I believe we need that. I need that. I need to sit around the table with a group of guys. I see Mr. Bennett back there. You do this all the time. You love this, and you've done this faithfully for so long. I would say to you, if you have never been a part of a discipleship group, I would encourage you to do this starting tonight. Make a commitment before the Lord. You say, well, I don't know if I'm ready to do all that. That's okay. It's 16 weeks. 
okay? It's 16 weeks. What I would encourage you to do is take this little card at your table and fill it out. And write on there what time of the, of the week, it says at the bottom, best day time for you to meet at Bellevue. So we can get a life group room. You can meet in one of the lobbies. Y'all can meet at Panera Bread. You can meet at Starbucks. I don't care where you meet. I just know we need to keep meeting together as guys and keep talking and keep praying together and keep encouraging one another. And this is a great opportunity right here that's been put together. It's easy to use. And to be honest with you, it doesn't take a whole lot of time. But what it does is it keeps you in the word. It keeps you praying. And then you come back together and you encourage one another. And you push one another closer to the Lord. You come in one week. I remember the first discipleship group I was in. I came in and they said, well, did you memorize your verse? I said, nope. They said, well, did you do all your reading? I said, nope. They said, well, did you, did you pray much this week? I said, nope. Am I kicked out? They said, no. But we want to encourage you to keep going and keep going. And the next week, guys started texting me and saying, hey, I prayed for you this morning. Did you get a chance to read your Bible? And what they did is they encouraged me in to desiring to do just that. It was amazing. They held me accountable to that. And so I would encourage you, whether you do it as a table, like one of the tables are doing here, Or if you say, hey, no one else at my table really seemed interested in this, but I am. I would like to do this with somebody. I don't know if Bill's back in the room. Chad, will you stand up right here, buddy? Chad works with Bill Street, and they're they're with our discipleship ministry, discipleship and evangelism and prayer, and they do a fantastic job. And if you say, hey, my table's not interested, I want you to talk about it before you leave if your table wants to do something like that. But if you say, my table's not interested, I need this, I just want you to fill out your card and go see Chad. Just ask him some questions. You're not... They're not going to poke your finger and write in blood or anything like that, okay? We're not signing your house away, nothing like that. What we're trying to do is encourage one another in the Lord. That word sometimes, discipleship, scares people. But guess what? It's what Jesus did. And it's what Jesus called us to do. As a matter of fact, at the end of Matthew, it was not a recommendation. It was a command. She would go into all the world and make disciples. So I would encourage you to think about this. There's other guys here that can talk to you, but I want you to find Chad. If you fill this card out, put the day and time you can meet, leave it right there on your table. We'll pick it up. I'll get these to Bill and Chad, and they will call you or text you. They will find a group for you to be in, and I'm going to tell you, you will, ne- you will never regret that you read the Bible more than you do today, that you prayed more, that you memorized more Scripture, and that you had a group of guys that encouraged you, you will never regret that. What you will regret is if you don't do it. You say, well, I'm older and I've never done that. I've missed the boat. No, you haven't. You have so much to offer. You say, well, I don't know if I I may be too young. No, you're not. Jesus started with young guys. I'm just telling you, we need this. And so at your table, if you want to discuss that just for a few moments, whether that be something you'd like to do as a table And if not, maybe you want to do it as an individual. And then if you want to do it as an individual, you go find Chad right over here, and they'll talk through that. I'm going to pray for us, and then I want you to spend just a couple minutes at your table talking about it. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for these men. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you died on the cross to save us. And thank you that you've surrounded us with other men that desire to walk with you. So God, right now, this very moment, I pray you'll impress upon some men's hearts that they need to continue in a group that would point them to you and hold them accountable. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.